visual artists like me, I like that. But anyway, last uh, week, Peter spoke to us about living virtuously, uh, pursuing holiness, pursuing love and truth and things like that, and becoming aware and able to identify those who actually speak truth, right? And uh, constantly growing in Christ-likeness as we're called to, meaning that we must know God uh, through the knowledge of His Word and also through fellowship with Him. Uh, Not that it's just head knowledge, not that it's just intellectualism, right? And this week, he's going to tell us or talk to us about the trustworthiness of the Scriptures, of the Bible. Um, Rosalind Picard, if I say her name correctly, is founder and director of the Effective Computing Research Group at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Is that MIT? Yeah, that's MIT, right? Um, (laughs) I should know that. But she describes having previously thought that Uh, religious people, Christians and the like, were ignorant and stupid and that, uh, you know, she would never give herself over to such things. But then she had an encounter with God after reading the Bible. Somebody challenged her, you know, have you ever read it? And she's like, well, if I think I'm so smart, then I should probably read it and know what it says, right? So she starts reading. And she says this, she says, have you ever tried to assemble something mechanical and it only kind of works? And maybe the wheels spin, but not smoothly. And then you realize you were missing a piece. And when you finally put it together correctly, it works beautifully. And this is how I felt or how it felt when I handed my life over to God. I thought it had worked fine before, but after it was fixed, it worked exponentially better. In all things good and bad, I could count on God's guidance, comfort, and protection. I once thought I was too smart to believe in God, and now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the, in the cosmos, the author of all science, mathematics, art, and everything else there is to know. Today I walk humbly, having received the most undeserved grace. I walk with joy alongside the most amazing companion anyone else could ask for, filled with the desire to keep learning and exploring. And I think The best thing that we can do oftentimes is to get somebody to actually read the Bible, right? And, you know, the sad thing is that many of us don't even read our Bibles, you know. We profess this stuff, but we don't spend the time in it. Um, There's a a little video on YouTube. You know I'm a YouTube junkie. Um, I confess I am. But uh, there's this little video on YouTube of a boy, and he's standing in front of this uh, t-ball stand, and he swings the bat and hits the ball, and the ball ricochets off a wall and lands directly back on top of the t-ball stand where it started, and he freaks out, as a little boy would. And, uh, you know, if nobody had ever, if it weren't on film, nobody would ever have believed him, right? So camera helped him out in that way. On a more serious note, sometimes cameras prove guilt or innocence. There's plenty of those out there. USC student uh, Arman Premji, if I say his name correctly, was found innocent of charges of rape when video was released showing that the woman was actually the aggressor in a bar as they had the CCTV uh, footage of it. And the camera right now rules, doesn't it? It's probably one of the most, if not the most influential invention to date. You know, as stated last week, our spiritual growth doesn't happen by osmosis. It just doesn't just occur but it happens by intentional pursuit of Jesus through his word and in relationship with him, like we said. Did you know that if you live up to 70 years old, you'll spend 20 years and three months of sleep in your life? 
five years and nine months in transportation, seven years and six months eating and drinking something, and ten years and five months watching video, watching TV, watching YouTube, things like that. That's a lot of video, <laughs> right? It, it really is, most of which leads us away from Jesus and not to him because Hollywood is known for its moral turpitude and not its holiness and not its pursuit of holiness, really. Ironically, somebody shared with me uh, a short video on the idolatry rampant in Christians as it pertains to the entertainment industry, and that was sobering to say the least. Now, if you added up the Bible, the time you spent reading the Bible and in fellowship with other Christians and uh, in your prayer life, things like that, what would that add up to? Well, I did the homework this week. And let's say you spend one and a half hours in church, like on Sunday mornings. You spend three hours a week. Maybe you're going to a sonship course on Tuesday nights, men. Uh, and you spend three hours a week, one and a half hours on Tuesday night, and then maybe another hour to one and a half hours studying and listening to the, the audio and things like that during the week. Uh, maybe you spend 30 minutes a day in a quiet time, six days a week. Let's say you do that six days a week. And you add all of that up, that would be four and a half hours a week. That's it. And if you, we'll round it up to five to be generous, <laughs> right? That would be only 2.1 years over 70 years. That's very little compared to our video uh, intake. So the question becomes, how much attention do we actually give to Christ and, and to his redeeming truth? And I think we have to remember that the, the scriptures are trustworthy because of the eyewitness testimony of the apostles to Christ's death, his resurrection, and many other things, and the trustworthiness of the Old Testament law and prophets, right? Christians should read the Bible knowing that it is time-tested, God-breathed truth to us. That, the, you know, the apostles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned the scriptures, and they are sort of like our camera lens that we see Jesus through today, right? Inspiration, as we know, means inhaling, or it also means breathing into. God breathed into the original writers his word, his message, what he wanted us to hear. He wrote a book for us, right? So do we sort of trust and value it as truth is the question. Measuring everything else in the world against it as the only truly objective, trustworthy thing that we have from the creator of the universe. How much time do we actually spend in the Word is a question. So turn with me to page 830 of your pew Bibles uh, and follow along as I read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Page 830, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. And it starts like this. For we did not know, we, we did not follow clever, cleverly devised myths when we, uh, that's a hard word for me to say with plural Myth is easy. Myths sounds, just sounds strange. But For we did not follow cleverly de devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, 
We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and for we were with him on the holy mountain. They were also witnesses of all these different miracles, of the words he said, his death, his resurrection, and things like that. And these guys, by the way, I just want to stop there for a minute and say, these guys got nothing out of that. They only got trouble for that. Most of them died horrific deaths as a result of it. They didn't gain money. They didn't gain reputation. They were fish swimming against the flow, and they were very ordinary men. So it's not like they made a story up to make life better for themselves. That wasn't the case, right? So that makes it that much more trustworthy. Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now, when he says prophetic word, he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures, right? So a a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that uh, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So let's not believe people when we say, well, that's how you interpret it. The Bible is written on a third grade level. It's very easy to understand. Uh, it, may, it may not always be as clear as we'd like it to be, but it is not that complicated, right? And we have, you know, millions of witnesses over time that have, that have walked this out. And the church as a whole has... has decided on certain things that are true of it and we have we're going to talk about this next week but we have plenty of heretics throughout this the history of the church that have been denounced and excommunicated and silenced because they went against what the collective church has said so anyway for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit so the only prophecy we fully trust is in the Bible Time-tested, backed by eyewitnesses, God-breathed truth. And like we said in the past, science is always confirming the Bible. They won't admit that necessarily out there in the world, but it is. And and we've seen some of that in past sermons. We'll see more of that in the future. But we hold all other prophecy from humans with a good, healthy, mature suspicion. So we confirm it against the Word of God right, in community with mature believers. And even then, we still say, well, we'll wait and see, right? In verses 16 through 21, Peter reminds us that the faith we believe and follow is no myth, right? And we can be assured of this because Peter himself witnessed this majesty of Christ at the transfiguration and also from the prophetic word of the Old Testament that foretold of Christ's coming. Christ is all throughout the Old Testament, right? Verse 19 actually speaks specifically about the Old Testament, its prophecy and its trustworthiness. The Old Testament prophecy is speaking about Christ as a lamp shining in a dark place, you know, inform the readers that the truth in the Bible will continue to point to the source of all truth, and that is Christ until he returns in glory. We've we've had people over history, like I said, who have twisted God's word. We have them today, and we need to call that out. And I think pastors need to call that out more and more. Somebody actually, another pastor, emailed me recently and asked me if I preach on certain subjects in, the, in, in, in my, my uh, church, and I said, of course I do. I, I have to. I'm called to. It's in the scriptures, and it's out there in culture battling against it. My people, your people need to hear this stuff. Do not be afraid to go to the hot topics because we need to hear it. We're, you know, if you're going to be 
battle against in, 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 in the worst ways that are leading you away from Christ out there, then you need me to be bold in here to, to lead you in a different direction. Sorry, I'm going off all kinds of tangents this morning. But anyway, Marcion, a second century theologian, preached that God had sent Jesus as an entirely new alien God, right? That he was different. He was distinct from the vengeful God of the Old Testament uh, that, uh, uh, of Israel who had created the world and, and, uh, and, and he was very different. You know? So he saw him as vengeful in the Old Testament and Jesus as all forgiving and merciful, right? And that is a doctrine that we've called, we've labeled Marcionism after him. Early church fathers denounced him and, uh, as a heretic and they excommunicated him in 144 AD, right? They kicked him out. Rightly so, they should kick him out. And because his is a heresy that many Christians even today unwittingly believe because they simply have not done their homework, right? They have not spent the time. They still see two different gods between Old Testament and New Testament, don't they? We've probably all felt that to some extent. But Jesus, we have to be reminded, Jesus is the climax of the Old Testament. And if you strip the New Testament of the Old Testament, you have nothing left. There's nothing. The New Testament challenged how Jews read the Old, Old Testament as well. And we continually must uh, today even learn to read it well. Amazingly, and I don't follow the guy, but I've never had any problem with him before, but amazingly, Andy Stanley, recently pastor of North Point Community Church, recently announced to his church that in this effort to sort of capitulate those that have left the church in this current, you know, worldview clash in, in our culture, that Christians need to unhitch the Old Testament from their understanding of faith. In other words, don't bother with the Old Testament anymore. And he calls people to only focus on the resurrection of Christ in the New Testament. Now, we don't excommunicate people anymore any longer, usually, uh, maybe the Catholic Church does, I don't know. But, but if we did, Andy would have put himself at the front of the line for that statement. It is just an absolutely irresponsible and wrong statement, right? It, it isn't enough to, to, to just know Jesus rose from the dead, right? That doesn't answer the question of why did Jesus have to die? And why did he need to rise again from the dead? That comes to us from the Old Testament. From, for that, we all need to know the Old Testament. Among other things, the Old Testament tells us why we need salvation, and the New Testament reveals how it comes to us in finality and in completeness. Jason DeRoshi, if I say his name correctly, <laughs> gives 10 reasons why the Old Testament is important for Christians. And I thought his list was really helpful as I read through it to gain insight on the consistency of God's message to us. So number one, he says the Old Testament was Jesus' only scripture, and that's true, right? Um, there wasn't the whole Bible that we have right now. And the Old Testament matters, even just in its size and length. God gave his word in a book to us, right? And this was his first special revelation, and it makes up 76, 75.55% of our, our total Bible right now. It is the foundation for the fulfillment of Jesus in the New Testament, and the Old Testament was the only Bible, as I said, that Jesus and the early church had. So they preached the gospel from the Old Testament, right? And it is a major part of our complete canon. 
So we need not be the lopsided Christian that only reads the New Testament and never the Old. We should pursue to understand those things in there. Number two, the Old Testament influences our understanding of key biblical teachings. By, by the end of the law, from, from uh, Genesis to Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the Bible, it has already uh, sort of described or alluded to all the five major covenants which guide Scripture's plot. Uh, the rest of the Old Testament builds on all of this in detail, and it builds anticipation for this better king, this, this blessed people in the future, and this broader land. It identifies humanity's core problem, and it gives promises that the New Testament actually fulfills, which means we need it to understand Christ and God's work in history. Some doctrines are best understood only from the Old Testament, right? For example, that the sort of worldview-shaping passage in Genesis 1-1 through chapter 2, verse 3, or understanding sacred space and the temple and what does all that mean to us, and, or, or the explicit declaration of God's incomparability in, in Isaiah chapter 40, or the substitution atone, substitutionary atonement in uh, Isaiah chapter 53, or what Paul actually means by psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. The New Testament worldview and teachings are built on the framework of the Old Testament with hundreds of Old Testament quotations or allusions or echoes, and none of which we fully grasp apart from saturating ourselves in the whole, in the, in the, the whole Bible. I remember as a new Christian hearing about the temple and the high priest and, and what had, had helped me to understand the gospel, right? It, it really rounded it out for me. Number three, we meet the same God in both Testaments, unlike what Marcion said. The book of Hebrews says, in the past, God spoke to, I'm, by the way, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture that I'm not putting on the screen. Just let it wash over you, right? Just listen to it and let it, let it speak to you. But the book of Hebrews says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Hebrews chapter 1. The very God who spoke through the Old Testament prophets prophet speaks through Jesus in the New Testament. But some ask that sort of Marcion-like question, but isn't the Old Testament God one of wrath and burden and the New Testament God about grace and sort of freedom and forgiveness and things like that? Well, let's consider some of the texts from the Old Testament, and then we'll look at some of the, the texts from the New. And the most foundational Old Testament statement of God's character and his action is Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, which says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. That sounds like a very nice God to me. It reasserts this numerous times throughout the Old Testament to clarify why it is that God you know, continued to sort of pardon and preserve this extremely wayward people all throughout the Old Testament, right? You know, 2 Kings 13, 23 says, but the, Lord was, but the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion and showed concern for them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this day, he has been unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his presence. Sounds like a great God to me. In 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 9, it says, If you return to the Lord, 
Then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. And then in Nehemiah chapter 9, it says, For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention. <laughs> that just, it's just indicative of Israel, right? So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples, but in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are, gracious and merc- you are a gracious and merciful God. So God's grace fills the Old Testament just like it fills the New Testament, right? And in the New Testament, we find out that Jesus speaks about hell more than anybody else, right? He declares, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And then he says, if, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Chapter 18, verse 6. That's a scary verse. All right. Paul, citing Deuteronomy 32, 35, says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 19. And the author of Hebrews writes this, If we deliberately keep on sinning, this is a scary verse, listen to this one. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Hebrews chapter 10. That's kind of spooky. So God is just as wrathful in the New Testament as, as he is in the Old, but people have not preached those things. So we've, get a, we've gotten a very different view. In Acts chapter 10, Peter asserts, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify, uh, testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter, this New Testament apostle, proclaims Jesus as judge, whereas he says the Old Testament prophets proclaim Jesus as the means of forgiveness, right? It's the opposite. Certainly there are, you know, sort of numerous expressions of God's righteous anger in the Old Testament. It's longer and you know, there was plenty of reason for it, right? Just as there are many manifestations of God's mercy in the New Testament. What's important to recognize is that we meet the same God in the Old Testament as we do in the New Testament. It's one continual story. In the whole, whole Bible, we meet a God who is faithful to his promises, to both bless and to curse, and he takes sin and repentance very seriously, as should his people, right? Number four, the Old Testament announces the gospel that we enjoy. A lot of people think, well, the the gospel came in the New Testament. No, the gospel came from the very beginning. The gospel is good news that through Jesus, you know, the divine, crucified, and resurrected Messiah, that God reigns over all, Uh, saving and satisfying believing sinners. Paul states, Scripture foresaw 
that God, and he, remember he's talking about the Old Testament. He says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And he announced the gospel in, in advance to Jesus? No, to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. The gospel was announced way back in early Genesis. Abraham was aware, he was very aware of the message of global salvation that we now enjoy, that is available to people that we now, we now enjoy. In Romans, Paul stresses the Lord promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures the powerful gospel of God concerning the Son that he preached and which we now really enjoy. That's Romans chapter 1. Foremost was Isaiah, right? who anticipated the day when God's Messiah and those identified, him, identified with him would, would herald good news to the poor, to the brokenhearted, uh, to the downtrodden. News that the saving God reigns through his anointed Messiah, his anointed deliverer. Reading the Old Testament is one of God's ways, his given ways, for us to delight in the gospel. And that's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. Number five, both Old and New Covenants call for love, which we learn about in the Old Testament. Within the Old, Old Covenant, love was what the Lord called Israel to do. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and chapter 10. All the other commandments sort of clarified how to do it, right? We talked about that in the Ten Commandments and all that kind of stuff. This was partly why Jesus, uh, or his point in saying, all the whole Old Testament hangs on the call to love God and love neighbor. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Matthew chapter 22. He was very, uh, it was very important to him, you know, those, those words. Christ said, so in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Paul noted that uh, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. So as with Israel, the Lord calls us as Christians to love. Yet now all the members of the new covenant are actually empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually live this command. You actually have that power within you in Christ. Moses prophesied to this future reality, and he said this, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants. He's talking about the future, right? So that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Moses also said that those enjoying this in the future would obey the Lord and follow his commands I am giving you today. His old covenant Law called for life-encompassing love in Israel. Now looking through the lens of Christ, in hindsight, we gain clarity from the Old Testament of the wide-ranging effect and call of love in our lives. Number six, Jesus came not to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And in process, he sort of stressed the lasting relevance of the Old Testament teaching for Christians. He said this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And when he says that, he's not saying they're not useful anymore just because they've been fulfilled. But he's saying he's come to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen 
will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, if anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly would be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5. While the age of the old covenant has ended for us, the Old Testament itself may, remains uh, Still, still has lasting relevance for us in displaying the character of God, in pointing to the excellencies of Christ, and in portraying the scope of love, right? Moses stated in the, in the day that this, uh, of, of this heart circumcision, which we enjoy in Christ, all his teachings in Deuteronomy would still matter. He said, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Right. Number seven, Jesus said uh, that the Old Testament points to him. Right. Philip, after meeting Jesus, said to Nathaniel, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about the prophets also wrote about whom the prophets also wrote. John chapter one, verse forty five. Jesus says that we find him in the Old Testament. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, John chapter 5. Then in Luke 24, verse 27, he says, it says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And he's saying that from the Old Testament. That the Messiah, that Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament, and it's all pointing to him, right? And after his resurrection, Jesus opened up the minds of his disciples, if you remember, so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, we hear a message, a very clear message of the Messiah and the, th- and the mission that he generates, it was from the very beginning. Paul taught nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to, to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 26. So as an Old Testament preacher, Paul declared that I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. To know Jesus. We read the Old Testament. We steep ourselves into it, in it. Verse eight, or number eight, failing to declare the whole counsel of God puts us in danger with the Lord. It really does. And that's where Andy Stanley is in dangerous waters right now. Paul was a herald of the good news of God's kingdom in Christ, which he preached from the law of Moses and the prophets. In Acts chapter 20, he testifies to the Ephesian elders. He says, I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Now, think about that. That weighs heavily on me as a pastor. Am I doing that for you? Because teachers are held to a different degree of standard, right? Had he failed to preach the whole will of God, he would have stood accountable for any future doctrinal or moral errors uh, that the Ephesians church involved themselves with. He's responsible to teach well, and so are we, not just teachers and pastors. With the New Testament, Scripture is complete. 
full stop. It's the end, right? Not, no other books are added. As Jude verse 3 states, we have in whole the faith. And when they say the faith in the New Testament, they're talking about certain beliefs, certain community-held beliefs. So the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. They're not talking about some ethereal, like, I feel faith. That's not what the New Testament talks about. When they say the faith, they are talking about the beliefs that we believe in as Christians. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. You know, things like that. He was, sin- he was the only sinless human being. Blah, blah, blah. We, all these, like, just solid truths that we believe. And this faith is only rightly understood within the framework of the whole counsel of God. You cannot unhitch from the Old Testament. Number nine, the New Testament authors stress that God gave the Old Testament for Christians. Peter said it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. Talking about Old Testament writers. Old Testament authors wrote for a future audience. They wrote for the audience that they were writing to at that time as well, but also for a future audience. Paul was convinced that they wrote for all those who live on this side of Christ's death and resurrection, saying this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That's Romans chapter 15. These things, he says, happened to them, in other words, the Israelites, as, an exa- as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said to Timothy, who was raised on the Old Testament by a Jewish mother and a Jewish grandmother, praise God, you ladies, raising your kids well, amen to that, that the Holy Scriptures that he was raised on Uh, for his upbringing, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that was all the Old Testament that they taught him, right? We can find salvation from wrath and sin by reading the Old Testament through the lens of Christ. And that's where both Rosalind Picard and myself began, actually. I didn't start reading the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Luke. I started in Ecclesiastes. That was the first book I ever read. And goodness, it convicted my heart. Now, she started in Proverbs, right? And she expected to find absolutely nothing of value. But to her surprise, what did she find out? It was full of wisdom. She expected to find false miracles and weird stories and all this stuff. But all she found was great, deep wisdom. You ever, you ever read Proverbs? Go home this, this month. For one month, every day, read a, a, a chapter of Proverbs. They're short. You can do it in five minutes. Just read a chapter of Proverbs every morning. Just read all through them. It's, it's, it's amazing. But, um, so she expected to find nothing of value, but all she found was wisdom. And she said, I felt this strange sense of being spoken to, of being spoken to. It was disturbing, <laughs> yet oddly attractive. And I began wondering whether there really might be a God, and obviously she's come to that conclusion. She's given her life to Christ. Paul says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, not a fun word, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
believers can correct, they can reprove, they can encourage each other from the Old Testament when we read it in light of Christ. New Testament authors regularly use the Old Testament as the basis for Christian exhortation. There are natural questions which arise regarding sort of how Christians should relate to Old Testament instruction, certain things that are not applicable in, the, in this age and things like that. We get that. That doesn't mean you give up. That means you explore, right? The point stands that it is written for us. It's written for our edification. And finally, number 10, Paul commands church leaders to preach the Old Testament. Paul referred to the Old Testament when he spoke of the scriptures which are able to make a person wise for salvation and breathed out by God and profitable to us, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3. And knowing this um, informs our understanding of his charge to Timothy when he said this. He said, preach the word. And that, at the time, preach the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke and encourage we need correction we need to be rebuked at times we need to be encouraged with great patience and careful instruction he says for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine and that is our time isn't it goodness it's just gone off the rails instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want want to hear Right? We all do that, don't we? Like, you know, you, you, I, somebody said to me the other day, like, uh, no, well, it was my wife and I were, we, we trapped, we, we had a trap in the yard because we, we have groundhogs that eat our garden, and she's driving her crazy because she she's the gardener. And she comes in, she goes, oh, I saw, I saw, we, we trapped a, a groundhog. So I went out there, and there's a possum. I said, that's not a groundhog, that's a possum. She goes, yeah, sometimes you see what you want to see, right? <laughs> Isn't that true? And she was right. We, we do. We see, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of my wife. I'm, um, but um, their itching ears want to see her. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, right? For Paul, leaders in the church need to preach the Old Testament to guard the church from apostasy. And there are plenty of churches that have gone that way. While we now have the New Testament, we can, can and must appropriate the Old Testament as Jesus and the apostles did for the good of the church. Paul stresses those who unhitch themselves from the Old Testament put themselves in danger of falling away from God. And if Andy Stanley was here this morning, I would still preach this sermon. The Bible is the final authority as God's infallible and inerrant word, time-tested, eyewitness-accounted, and trustworthy, God-breathed, holding revelation and instruction for us all. So I implore us, as a body of Christ in this area, to explore it and to apply it well, right? Done in context of, of the church community. Let me close us in prayer, and we have a mic here. Uh, Natalie's going to play some you know, light background music, but we're, we're doing, we're adding this element into the service for a little while. We want to give you a chance that if the Lord has moved in your heart, if there's something on your heart that you want to pray, maybe you want to pray for Joseph this morning and his restaurant, uh, or you just want to pray for somebody in the room or something that's going on or whatever, go ahead and come up to the microphone and, and, and pray. We'd love to have you do that. 
And uh, I'll, I'll open it up by, by praying us out of this sermon. Father, we thank you that you are trustworthy, that your word is trustworthy. We confess to you that we have uh, at times disregarded it. We've, we've not honored it. We've not, we've not immersed ourselves in it. We've not swum around in it. Think about that passage in Ezekiel where we go in ankle deep, then we go in knee deep, then waist deep, and then we're swimming with our head below the waters, Father. We pray that we would be a people that really cares, that desires. We know we don't do anything without desire. So we pray that you would sweep away all the clutter and the things and the dirt and the, the distractions from our desire to know you more deeply and to walk with you in these things. We pray that you would give us a desire to understand you, not just in intellectually grasping your word, but actually seeing you alive and breathing like like uh, Picard said, that, that, that there was someone speaking to me through this. We pray that your voice would come through on the words of those pages, that you would impress them in our hearts and change our lives and give us wisdom and understanding that you call for in Proverbs and all, all the, throughout the Scriptures. We just want to give ourselves to you, and we pray that you would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that you would create that desire in us, and that we would not be white-knuckling this, but we would actually be doing it in joy. Thank you, Lord Jesus.